Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us today in the StoryCraft Cafe. Boy, do we have a fantastic show for you with the amazing Alex Marwood. It's a great conversation, and if you love the art of storytelling, you're going to absolutely adore this interview. Be sure to join us over at StoryCraft.Cafe. Find your writing tribe, get plugged in, and it's like the best of social media, but only for writers, only for storytellers. It's uh, it's this fantastic little corner of the internet that uh, we love and, and we hope that you do too. Be sure to join us over there because there's uh, always notifications of live events like this interview with Alex Marwood uh, was live on YouTube and, you know, our... Uh, the, the folks that join us there and the folks from the StoryCraft Cafe always have the opportunity to join in on the conversation, pitch some questions and comments, and join in on the conversation. It kind of opens up the, um, uh, you know, the vibe of it. And, you know, it's not just listening to two people chat, but it's a chat that you can be part of storycraft.cafe we've got three live shows next week so be sure to go over to storycraft.cafe and find out you know go look at the upcoming events and uh, i'll be updating that today so that you can uh you know see what's coming up and you can come join in thanks and uh let's hear from alex marwood now And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have Alex Marwood on the show with me. Alex has a phenomenal new book, and it's called The Island of Lost Girls. And if you're here in the uh, in the States where I am, it's release day. And uh, I believe that uh, this book has been available um, in the UK for for a while now is that right alex yeah it came out in hardback last summer but it's actually only just really you know had its hard launch um on the 9th of june so it's all been a bit full on um as it came out in paperback but um yeah i find the whole process very terrifying (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm getting a bit of echo well you know what i think it's from me it's it it was my fault i was i was causing the echo i'm so sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) um First off, I like to start conversations with a fun question just to, uh, to, to kind of set yeah. the tone for the conversation. And I've got one that I love asking people, and it, it goes something like this. Uh, Alex, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Gosh, I mean, really, I, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't. I think um, my first memory of realizing the sort of stuff I wanted to do um, was probably when I was five or six. Um, I was a horribly um, um, precocious reader. 
<laughs> and people and the youngest in my family and everybody just forgot how young I was. And I remember my um, my oldest friend, Claudia, who I'm still friends with now, her mother um, picked up a book of um, um, horror stories for teenagers um, for my birthday present one year. <laughs> And um and and I you know and and my 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 family bless them you know I mean they just gave me a, a gave a, let me loose with an adult library card the moment they could and so they just you know that not for one second did anybody say is this you know suitable reading for a six year old <laughs> so I read this and it was full of absolutely stuff that was absolutely terrifying to a six-year-old and I was absolutely bought I bought right into it right then right there and just when I want to write this sort of stuff when I grow up and um, so I think and, that's it. and you have succeeded at that for sure well, thank you. <laughs> and I mean that in the most complimentary way in the nicest possible way right. you gave me nightmares in the sweetest possible oh you are wonderful thank you so yeah. much hank so so alex do i understand right that you began your professional career as a journalist yes i mean i i i, I you know how you know there really isn't any sort of um career path yeah. laid out for writers you know so i I read english at university english literature and um then i just I I sort of assumed that I would then just go off and write some books and then it would all be marvelous and um I <laughs> tempt um in the meantime and then I it just never occurred to me that there were other other sorts of writing basically but one day I ended up covering um the secretary on the arts desk at the independent newspaper which was a very splendid broadsheet newspaper at the time for her two-week holidays and found myself in the middle of this of really my fantasy world i mean just all these really really clever people writing finding stuff out at, at, at great speed and writing it at great speed and pretending that what they were doing was really easy and i just fell in love so um then i started doing casual subbing shifts and um whenever um you know i heard the words who can we get to write that i would stick my hand up um and then i um uh i ended up being the crossword editor um as my first sort of um full-time actual job with a salary yeah um and that was that was actually great i mean it's a mad job um but that also was marvelous because it just left me you know in in place all the time um just being fed and fed and fed just this extraordinary this extraordinary world of the fact that there is so much to know out there right right did you ever find yourself um reporting on crime not really no i was basically i i was a jobbing features writer was what i did i did do some bits and pieces every now and then for news but mostly because somebody would go look this is such a barking mad story that serena's yeah. got to do that you know sorry my real name by the way is serena <laughs> <laughs> and um but yeah i ended up being basically a jobbing features writer and i sort of um specialized in um doing stuff about um 
people who were a bit odd doing stuff that was a bit odd um and i seem to have some you know talent for getting people who sort of you know don't fit in particularly in the world to talk to trust me enough to talk to me yeah. um and i had a lovely column at one point where i was basically just i was given a broadsheet page every saturday to do whatever i want uh wanted and i just sort of hunted around for sort of just stories that interested that interested me so i'd get you know i'd just have those sort of i wonder what happens when ideas and then i would go and ring a few people up and find out and find somebody so you know i did everything from um i i once went and um interviewed there was there was it turned out to be a man who had a uh, who collected lawnmowers um and not just a, a any any old lawnmowers the an actual a specific lawnmower made by a specific company sorry i look like i'm doing a pack shot here don't <laughs> um and um and he had a collection of something like 800 lawnmowers wow in country a company and um he had this terribly terribly ancient mother i mean he must have been in his 60s then she must have been in her late 80s i think wow. and her hobby was topiary um, and I don't mean little topiaries. I mean, you know, gigantic 10-foot lions or, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and, and I went down that, you know, and they uh, and there he was, you know, he, he talked to his lawnmowers and she was up a ladder <laughs> carving unicorns. <laughs> oh, that's so and then the following week I went down, um, I, I went down into the London Underground when they were building the um, the ju new the Jubilee Line extension and walked all the way from London Bridge to Canary Wharf underground while it was still, um, you know, while it wasn't running. And and it was just really fun. And, that, you know, I went to the livestock sales at, um, um, at, at Newmarket and just watched literally billions of pounds passing, exchanging hands in in wow. a matter of minutes and it was just really fun um and then i also um i i had a certain sort of facility for just making stuff up so i ended up with three columns under different names one was my name and i was sort of a um uh, well the slightly off beam hippie that I am, um, and getting into sort of, you know, into scrapes at bus stops. Um, and then I wrote a sort of fake, um, um, a fake ad agony aunt column, um, where the independent was a bit highfalutin and didn't really do celebrity, um, celebrity gossip. So what would I, I would just pretend to be um the celebrity writing to me for advice about what to do about and that you know worked really well and then i had a third one which was anonymous called the temp sorry the temp um which um where i was um i, I basically so my editor had asked me to sex up the secretarial pages and i came up with this idea which is basically a office anthropology column weekly and i was an anonymous temp going around offices watching the way people kid themselves about you know about them themselves um and um and you know and doing and it was lovely because that just you know every time i got bored with one theme i'd just be able to move office <laughs> 
<laughs> so it, it sounds like you got to uh, merge the worlds of journalism and and creative fiction writing just yeah. from the from the get go. Yeah, which was really really great. I mean, it it uh, none of it. I don't think any of my life has ever been planned out. Um, <laughs> it, it, it turned out actually about two, what during lockdown. Um, I finally got realized, uh, I finally got around to actually wondering about my brain and I discovered that I actually have really quite profound combined type ADHD. Um, and suddenly everything fell into place about this sort of chaotic, um, chaotic way that I have run my life and <laughs> why it's worked sort of for me. I can completely relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alex, if you, if you were to ask a successful writer, uh, mm. invariably anyone across the spectrum uh, about um, how do you become uh, a writer or how do you become a better writer, invariably uh, they will give you two pieces of, of advice that I think are, are essential. And uh, I think uh, Stephen King famously put it in his book on writing. Uh, you've got to read a lot. You have to understand how stories work and how the written form works. And, and really, you only yeah. learn that from reading other writers and familiarizing yourself with the form. And the second thing is you have to write a lot. You have to practice. Yeah. You have to yeah. do it wrong so many times Absolutely. until you get it right. Ray Bradbury Absolutely. famously said you should write a short story, a different one every single week of the year. Because yeah. at the end of it, surely you can't write fifty bad short stories. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, which is kind of funny, but but there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I I would add to the read a lot. I would add reread a lot. Yes. Um, because uh, you know you uh, there is so much to be got um from reading a book again mm -hmm. once you've once you've understood that what you've read was really good and that it really worked right. you read it a second time and you actually watch and watch and watch and see what the writer is doing and try to work out if that is something that you can do yourself yeah. um, and and i'll uh i'll add to what you just said that um uh especially thrillers and and um uh hook heavy uh, mm. stories or twist heavy stories because yeah. you read through once and you you get to the twist and you're like oh my gosh i never saw it coming well then rereading is super important because then you get to take notes on the setup and the misdirection and absolutely and they're really clever ways in which right. the whole thing has actually been planted there if 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 somebody is not cheating and not you know using a deus ex machina you will right just yeah you will find that the entire story is absolutely there you know waiting waiting for you if you read it a second time yeah. um and and that 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 is that's very much part of the sat the satisfaction of a really good thriller i think is actually realizing right. that although you have been red herringed and you've been played with actually nobody's cheated and 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 you have been absolutely told what was going on all the time um exactly exactly <laughs> well if we have the two rules the the cardinal rules read a yeah. lot write a lot yeah i like to add a third to that and that is to get out and talk to people yeah. and uh you know writers uh, always like to talk about being so, 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 oh, my yeah. um my phone went off right sure. okay yeah 
writers love to talk about being introverts and we love to stay inside and, you know, with our characters. But I think it's essential to get out and interact with people and to like you you had the opportunity to do with with some of your columns to interact with with unique characters. Absolutely. Um, Journalism, journalism, I think, was the, the best possible training for being a writer um because it constantly forced me out out of my comfort zone i don't actually think of myself as a particularly um 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 extroverted person but i had to you know yeah it forced me to go and talk to people and to not just talk to them but actually interact them and get get them to talk to me which is actually much much more important um but also it taught me um to be a lot less um uh, uh what's the word princessy about my about my work yeah um yeah my editor once said to me that um that, that she absolutely loves her ex-journalist writers because we're all so startled that anybody actually asks our opinion about it <laughs> <laughs> the- the uh the first novel that you published was that the wicked girls was that the first one that was the first marwood novel but i had actually written four before that or had four published before that under my own name okay um and in fact the very first one um my my real name is serena mackesy um the books are long gone um but um you know uh, my first one actually did very well and it actually came out of the column i was writing called the temp um and it started uh, in a world where most of the letters you get are written in green ink um it started getting um fan mail and um uh and i just looked at it and i thought actually you know what i could fardle this up into a sort of 20 something writes a passage novel so i did and it did very well um and um then uh, the problem with that was that it was just around the time that the Bridget Jones's diary was the biggest thing in the universe. And absolutely everybody, every woman who wrote a book, especially if she had a hyper-feminine name like Serena, got um, a cover with a girl shrugging and a handbag on the front. <laughs> you know. And so then I became a chiclet author. <laughs> Um, and it was very difficult to break out from that. And I realized it while I was writing my third one, which is called Simply Heaven, um, which I was sort of playing with doing a sort of modern gothic novel. And um, I realized that I just walled my heroine up with the desiccated corpse of her father-in-law's first wife and i thought this has got to stop you know i'm just gonna and then it took me one more one more book to then just go you know what i'm changing my name and and starting again but yeah so the wicked girls was my first marwood book and that came out in 2012 in the uk so what um what precipitated the change in your writing style does this go back to your early love of it was scary more, stories yeah it, it was more that i just you know wait i i uh, what what really happened was that i changed my name and actually pitched myself into the into the genre that i ought to have been in um all of my books actually are dark and um have really dark themes running through them and um but you know it was just 
a piece of of ill fortune that I was um, that, that I was sort of shoved into into a genre that didn't fit me, and the only way to get out of that ultimately, especially if you've got a name that is sort of uh, recognisable and feminine, um, is to just change your name and become somebody else. So that's what I did, and I would cheerfully do it again any time. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading The Wicked Girls uh, a number of years ago. I, I can't yeah. really remember how I came about. Anyway, that mm. that, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. The, what does matter is that uh, I remember opening the book. Um, I was sitting in this big comfy chair that we have uh, in, in our living room and reading through the first chapter and just being hooked and the next thing i realize i'm three quarters of the way through the book and it's like 2 a.m and oh thank and, you so much and just completely lost which which yeah. as a writer that's exactly what you want to happen that's precisely the sort of thing that makes your heart sing when somebody tells you that yeah right right yeah. uh your stories um wicked girls the darkest secret uh island of the lost girls have this quality about them that feels like they are ripped directly from the headlines that this is these are um story plots story setups that could be um a documentary on some true crime uh you know a channel on tv or something yeah and, and it is um it is disturbing uh, on one hand, but also captivating in the sense that you just can't take your eyes away from a car wreck that you know you shouldn't be <laughs> glamorizing, but you just can't help but, you know, but see what's going on. Um, how do you and, and let me mm. let me let me say it like this. Um, I am uh, I am fascinated with the this is one of my great fascinations in life is where stories begin uh, and i'm not talking about where you know the trite question that people say where do yeah, you well, drive so from yeah. yeah everybody gets that but yeah. what what i'm fascinated by is that one moment the the island of lost girls for instance does yeah. not exist and then either you're thinking about a new story maybe you're um whatever it is and then a, a character walks onto the stage of your mind and then the what if game starts playing and then at some point um the island of lost girls does exist and then mm. it's your job as the writer to dig it out of the ground and excavate mm. it and polish mm. it up and and then we have a book at the end of it so yes. for you what is that moment of creation like Oh, well, I, actually, funny, I, I, I was describing it to somebody last night as watching um, watching figures walk out of the fog towards mm. you. Um, and what always, my process, I'm, I am, I'm very chaotic, but what will happen is that something will give me an idea of something I want to write about, and that's not the same thing as the plot, you know. Um, and it nearly always, in fact, yeah, always has, always has been something that happened in real life will, will kick me off and start me thinking about, um, uh, about what it, what I want, what, what I want to take away from that thing. Um, sorry, that's not very, um, articulate. I know it's, <laughs> um, but you know, I'm, I think 
one of the things that I'm quite um, good at is um, spotting um, societal trends um, early on. Um, in uh, early on, in uh, as they, you know, as they as they're coming up. Um, so it'll often I often get accused of having written in a huge hurry, trying to you know jump onto a a, a wave or whatever. Uh, and it, you know, it takes me two years to write a book. So um, you know, actually, I will have had the thoughts. So with the Island of Lost Girls, there were a number of things that. Um, all came clashing together. Obviously, um, the Epstein case, right? Um, and but also in the UK, we've had um, some really horrific um, grooming scandals. Absolutely horrific. Um, the the in working class um, towns right across the country, there have been gangs of men who have been grooming teenage girls um, into um first off rape and and you know underage sex but then prostituting them out and the police have known about it and um all of the all of the the, the bodies employed to safeguard all these young children absolutely dropped the ball and avoided um bringing across bringing prosecutions largely because of the um the ethnic makeup of the men in the grooming gangs um, and the fear of being, um, you know, called racist for having done this. But uh, in the end, um, the, the, the two people forced um, a prosecution through on this and it was um, a female whistleblower from the police and then a, um, a Crown prosecutor who is of the same ethnic um, ethnic background as the as the the perpetrators you know um and it it this omerta this absolute omerta on you know we will not we will not not do anything about this and the way that the girls as a result of this were were consistently um written off in the record as basically being you know well you know she's 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 no better than she ought to be basically um was re it was really terrifying and we are talking thousands of girls literally thousands of girls had this done to them over the course of about 10 years um and at the same time um a tv celebrity um called jimmy savile who had been working for the bbc for decades turned out to have been a serial paedophile just after his death and again the bbc had known all about it known it was going on and had avoid and had done nothing about it they'd done nothing about it and um to our enormous shame this again this was brought to the crime prosecution service and they decided not to prosecute him now the person who was in charge of the Crown Prosecution Service when both of these um, decisions were made was actually Keir Starmer, who is now the leader of the Labour Party and tipped to be our next Prime Minister. So that was what I wanted to write about. <laughs> I wanted to write about the fact that, you know, um, nothing has changed. You've had all this, all this lovely you know, lovely, pretty language about inclusivity and, and diversity and all the rest of it 
has been just larded over the top of same old, same old misogynist paedophilia. Um, and, and all these people's self-interest driving them to do nothing to protect the victims. Um, so, gosh, yes, sorry, that was a rant. <laughs> no, no, that was... Uh, yeah. the, I, I am I am um, uh, vaguely familiar with the Savile case. I, yeah. I think most people in the world know something about it. Yeah, obviously not as much information here as in the UK because that yeah. was a, a, a very. Um, but here in the in the states, uh, the Epstein case uh, yeah. has been big news. Um, one thing that that I. Um, notice is that we know a lot about Epstein and we know a lot about um, his crimes yeah. and uh, we don't know an awful lot about the victims and yeah. and for, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, they, they've been through enough. They don't need to be paraded about. And, you know, so I, I understand why we don't know a lot about the victims. And I think you know, they've also they've quite quite I, I completely understand why you know what they have taken the compensation and accepted right. accepted shutting up in yeah. I, I really do i understand it you know yeah. um Ghislaine maxwell is a very very fascinating individual i've always been rather fascinated by her um i grew up in the same city mm. and she actually went to my um my school but before I came to it, and then uh, then there were entrance exams, and she failed them when I passed. So then we, um, so we never actually crossed over. But her father is it, it was a was a massive crook. And one of the things that I also wanted to talk about, write about, was um, I said this to my my editor, and she just went, "Oh yes." So this was the actual sort of kernel of the thing that I wanted that I sold it in on, which was. Um, how the daughters of great crooks are groomed to enable the next generation of, mm. of crooks. Um, and so I was very interested by Maxwell and but also by, you know, a number of um, high profile daughters of high profile frauds, fraudsters um, who have well, followed very similar. One path. thing that I love about the Island Lost Girls is that we do get to see this through the eyes of of the victims, the victims. and and yeah. it, it was a um there's a lot of uh not a lot of books like this because i think this is this is still a pretty new territory for novelists to to dig into yeah. but you know other there are other stories where we we really get into the mind of the abusers and, mm. and like that, mm. but you give us a different perspective. Yes, I'm and that, that it felt to me like that was yeah. a very, um, uh, a, a, um, a very deliberate choice to to view the story from that viewpoint. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's a theme really that runs through all of all of my books. You know, is just that that um, I am more interested in in 
the fallout for the victims and also yeah. the fallout for wider society of awful things happening um then i am really in um I, I mean i think i think you know i i'm 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 as interested in a serial killer as anybody anybody else who does our job is you know but actually i do think that the thing the thing that that really isn't getting explored enough and that i'm really interested in exploring is actually yeah the 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 repercussions for the victims of you know that that the will last a lifetime and the repercussions for their families and for all the people who you know carry the guilt of not having not having done anything the people you know the, and and the people who how people um how people rationalize to themselves also the the the, the ways that they have um uh, failed to failed to act when they when they could have protected somebody i think that that is just it's it will always be interesting to me that yeah the um the narrative style that you chose yeah. in the island of lost girls yeah. we we're dealing with dual timelines which uh which i love i love getting to um tease out a portion of the story and then switch um you know to a, a completely different and you find yourself while reading the second timeline wondering what's going on in the other and then looking for you know she's doing this on purpose so what am i going to learn here that's going to inform the other um, yes when you're writing that how yeah. do you manage the two timelines do you write them i do actually write them roughly as they will appear in the book okay because i think it's it is really important they do they the the timelines always inform each other and the point at which they stop and start always informs informs the other half and the only way to do that really is to sort of just keep you know keep keep doing it as keep as i go along building. i have very i i i i am I, I don't really I usually have an idea of where I'm going and where I'm starting but I have very little idea of how I'm going to get there um and that is partly I think that that actually is probably a feature of ADHD actually because um you know ADHD people do tend to get bored and wander off if they give the, if they know what they're doing you know so I just have to I yeah you know I ha I have to be teasing it out as a mystery to myself otherwise I would just never finish book um that said I also you know sometimes there will be just a a great white hole where I don't know what's what's going in there and I won't know until really until I've got to the end and I'll just leave that with a sort of you know a place marker going mm. you know there's something but you need to find out what it is I I didn't for instance realize that part of Mercedes's um um story was that you know she wasn't just you know still working for these people after all these years she'd actually been trapped into being being an indentured servant until i'd actually pretty much i was just about to sign off um sign off my copy edits actually <laughs> and i suddenly realized and it made every day absolutely every difference to to how i felt about her and the moral imponderables of of her existence um you know all, all of these people working in this house where terrible things are going on and 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 why why you know why right. why why do they not at some point stop it 
and there are so many reasons and i'm fascinated by that but you know in the end mercedes didn't stop it because she was basically a slave right um isn't it amazing when you have that moment of epiphany when it just when you crack the code and yeah. you're like oh my gosh this is oh, why it all works really, this number wait yeah and also the really great thing is that whenever i've had that happen to me i'll then you know go dashing back to do rewrites and and you know stick in a bit of extra stuff and i'll usually realize that it's actually this but i actually need to do very little um and that i've actually been planting it in the book all the time but my brain wasn't actually seeing what I was doing until right. I finally got it. And then, and actually in a funny way, I think that's really good because I think it sort of makes it much more naturalistic that I don't know, that I don't know myself what I'm doing. Right. Uh, and yet I am, and yet I actually do. It's just that I don't realize that. I think that I would probably be much more heavy handed um, with planting that stuff if i knew that that was what i was doing whereas actually just you know it it has always been putting itself in there yeah people that people that don't understand um this style of of writing and, mm. and you know consider themselves more plotters uh mm. you know outliners ahead of time mm. that idea of kind of writing into the void terrifies them um yes is there uh is there a time where you learn to trust yourself and your creative process because like you said that um you know you you could be uh heavy-handed and and uh overbearing with your writing if you weren't so confident that the story would come is there a point where that that confidence that that kind of sense of being settled in mm. uh, i'm just going to write i know the story will will get there i i actually find it very stressful and i'm, I'm i live in a, a state of permanent <laughs> fear to be honest um i know another another writer who writes like me is 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 the wonderful lisa jewel who yes. um, has been doing terribly well and she also writes in the same way and we do you know we 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 we've actually known each other because we both came out around the same time right. as bridget jones <laughs> we've actually followed quite similar paths only i went earlier than she did um and again she was writing these very dark books but they were being packaged as being women's interest books you know and then that <laughs> but she she jumped without changing her name you know yeah but lisa also writes like that and she also finds it absolutely terrifying and we both yeah no you, you don't feel confident of it right you know every single time i i finish i probably know where i'm going about three chapters before the end i, I usually know where i'm going for about three chapters out from where i am and it's only about three chapters before the end that i know that that's where i'm going and that that is the end and it's really terrifying and i think lisa finds it really terrifying too um, however, I think that, you know, if that is the way you write, you cannot do it any other way. I've, right. God knows I've tried plotting ahead of time, <laughs> but another friend who, you know, actually plots, plots on a, on a, um, spreadsheet for God's sake. So <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you have an idea of the final resolution, uh, of the book? I always have some, I always sort of know that I'm going for a happy ending or a sad ending, if you see what I mean. Um, right. um, and I know I usually have a pretty good idea of who's going to die. 
um, at the beginning. Um, and um, yeah, so I, 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 um, I'm incredibly lucky because I have always had an editor who trusted me with this and just let me go go with it. And God knows it must be stressful um because i do i just go you know okay look here's my idea here's the sort of the the setup and yeah, yeah. um and i think i'm gonna kill this person and this person by the end and and i have been so lucky because they just trust me let me do it wow um, um this book is uh is debuting in the united states today uh it's been out in the uk for uh, quite a while um is is that a that that has to be an interesting um, uh, journey of publication? That this book has has been out, it's been well received by one group of readers, mm -hmm. and it almost feels uh, it it must feel this is this is something I've already done. I've I've already had this emotional roller coaster, and now here it is. You know, a whole new audience is experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, what what is that like? Um, actually, it's fine. I mean, I'm now um, quite well dug into the 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 pre writing of the next book. Um, so I'm thinking about that a lot, and it's actually quite refreshing to come back and talk about something that you know. So because I'm living with the fear all the time at the moment, right. and um, so actually coming back and going, oh yeah, actually look, I've. <laughs> I wrote one and people <laughs> like it. <laughs> I can you do You have this. an accomplishment in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so actually I find it quite refreshing. I mean, I do, it's it, it's a funny, you, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure how much I enjoy the the thing of having a hardback, to be honest. Um, it just, it feels a bit like, um, uh, that, because hardly anybody buys hardback books, you know, and um, so so you don't really see any sales and you feel that you're, you know, that you're a terrible failure and, and all of the rest of it. And you're sort of waiting for when it really starts, which is paperback. And so actually it's really nice that, um, that, that, that the paperback and the American um, uh, edition are coming out at the same time and actually blissfully my other big um market which is poland is also coming out um, no, i'm no. huge in poland you know it's fantastic it's a wonderful country and, and <laughs> such brilliant their journalists are just so much more exacting than um than any journalist i've come across <laughs> in the anglosphere <laughs> my god they ask you some tough questions <laughs> love it um can you can you tell us anything about the your next project that you're working on yeah okay so the thing that is really is really catching me and is really interesting to me is that um i i think lots of people who lived through the 1970s are sort of feeling that now is awfully similar yes um and i think that we are just about to have a wave of terrorism i think you know i'm not sure which angle it's going to come from but I think a lot of people are are have hit the sort of the level of you know radicalism and activism that is actually going in some of them to tip them over into blowing people up, um, and I've been having that feeling for some time. And so what I am 
I've, I've been reading up a huge amount about the that world in the 1970s and I'm particularly interested in um the the um the way that all the I, I just saw a snippet somewhere saying that the woman I've forgotten her name now who was sort of the front for the weather underground has just yeah. retired from her long and distinguished career as a law professor at Northwestern University you know <laughs> so then I went and looked more up and and you know the ones that didn't either die or go to Cuba and have really miserable lives, have all ended up, they went into Wall Street, they became corporate lawyers, they became academics, they, you know, it's just extraordinary. And and that They just became really part of the, the system so they I were fighting the against. About, um, um, a, a bunch of a bunch of recent retirees from uh, the profession, the professions who all live together because they've all known each other all, all this time. Because actually they are, you know, the 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 leftover rump of the Baden Meinhof, and nobody's realised that. Mm. Um, and my working title is Boomers, but um, sadly my publisher's already having laughed. Probably <laughs> <laughs> I'm not led. <laughs> well, you could probably tell from the grey in my beard that I remember much of the 1970s, yeah. and I'm, yeah. I'm I look forward to reading that when it comes out. Um, but today, the Island of Lost Girls is available everywhere now, and you can go grab it. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes where you can grab it from Amazon, uh, or go visit your local bookstore and support local books. 100%. Always, always, always. Always support local books if at all possible. Um, Alex, if people are just discovering you, God forbid, and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to and and you know, uh, dig through your back catalog. Where's the best place for them to find you online? Um, well, I have a website, um, and um, I am um, on Facebook as I have a, an author page, but I also am Alex Marwood on Facebook, um, as a person, and I'm on Twitter. And um, I am apparently on Instagram, but fortunately somebody else does that for me because I just sort of stare at this stuff and go, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> but, you know, I can be, I'm, I'm a bit dot and go one on, um, on, on Facebook. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, uh, very chatty and sometimes I disappear for months on end because I'm writing a book, but that's where you can find me largely. Excellent. Yeah. We'll link up all those places to make it That's easy for good. folks to find you. The Island of Lost Girls, go grab it today. Oh, you won't oh, be disappointed. I'm being savaged, by the way, by my muse who was hiding <laughs> underneath it. Um, so I'm sorry, I had to pick him up because he was literally lying there, biting my hand and, and scrabbling at me. Um, Alex, this has been so much fun chatting. Yeah. It's been a real joy, fun. Hank. Thank you so much for having me on. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial.
Thanks for listening.